The Most Holy Incarnation, Part 26, The Holy Family Go to Materia. The Holy Family left Heliopolis on account of the persecution they there endured, and because Joseph could not obtain work. They took by roads and went still further into the country, journeying southward toward Memphis. Passing through a little town not far from Heliopolis, they halted in the forecourt of an open pagan temple and sat down to rest, when all on a sudden down tumbled the idol and fell to pieces. It had the head of an ox with triple horns and several cavities in the body to receive the sacrifices that were to be consumed. At once arose a tumult among the pagan priests. They seized the holy family and threatened them with punishment. But one of them represented to his companions, as they were consulting what measures to take, that the best thing for them to do would be to commend themselves to the God of these strangers. For he remembered, he said, what plagues had come upon their forefathers when they had persecuted those people, and that upon the night of their departure from Egypt the firstborn in every house had died. These words were effectual, and the holy family was left in peace. The pagan priest who had spoken for them went soon after to Materia with several of his people, and there joined the Holy Family and the Jewish community. Mary and Joseph next went to Troja, a place on the eastern side of the Nile, opposite Memphis. It was large and very dirty. They had some idea of remaining there, but they were not well received. Indeed, they could not even a, a drink of water, much less a few dates for which they begged. Memphis lay west of the Nile, which was at that point very broad and contained some islands. A part of the city lay also on this side of the river, and in Pharaoh's time, a large palace with gardens and high towers, from which Pharaoh's daughter often looked out on the country around. I saw the spot upon which, among the tall bulrushes, the child Moses was found. Memphis was like three cities in one, for it was built on both sides of the Nile, and appeared also to be connected with Babylon, a city lying eastward of the river and nearer to its mouth. In Pharaoh's time, the country in general around the Nile, between Heliopolis, Babylon, and Memphis, was so covered with high stone dams and buildings, and so linked together by canals, that those three cities presented the appearance of one large city. But at the time of the Holy Family, all were separate, immense wastes intervening between them. The holy travelers proceeded northward from Troja, along the river toward Babylon, a dirty, low-lying city. Between the Nile and Babylon, they took the route by which they had come, and returned a distance of about two hours. Buildings and ruins were scattered here and there along the whole road. After crossing a small branch of the river, or a canal, they reached Mataria, which was built upon a tongue of land jutting out into the Nile. The river bathed the city on two sides. It was, in general, a wretched enough place, built only of date wood and solid mud covered with rushes. Joseph found plenty of work here. He built more substantial houses of worker work with galleries around them to which the occupants could go for air and recreation. Here the Holy Family dwelt in a dark, vaulted cave that lay in a retired spot on the land side, not far from the gate by which they had entered. Joseph, as at Heliopolis, built a light screen before it. One of the idols in a little temple fell at their arrival, and later all the others did the same. The people were in consternation, but one of the priests quieted them by recalling to their remembrance the plagues of Egypt.
After some time, as a little community of Jews and converted pagans gathered around the Holy Family, the priests gave over to them the little temple whose idol had fallen at their coming, and Joseph turned it into a synagogue. Joseph was like the patriarch of the community. He taught them how to sing the Psalms correctly, for Judaism in those parts had greatly deteriorated. Only the poorest Jews dwelt here in Babylon, and that in the most wretched dens and caves. But in the Jewish settlement between On and the Nile, they were numerous and better off. They had a regular temple, for they had lapsed into frightful idolatry. They had a golden calf, a figure with an ox's head, around which were arranged other representations of animals like polecats or ferrets. These last-mentioned animals defend people against the crocodile. They had, too, an imitation of the Ark of the Covenant, and horrible things in it. The idolatry they practiced was of the most shameful kind, and the subsequent hall they carried on the most infamous wickedness, deluded by the hope that from it their Messiah should come forth. They were exceedingly stiff-necked, and not, would not be converted. Later on, however, many of them left that settlement and went to Babylon, about two hours distant. In doing so, they could not, on account of the numerous dikes and canals, travel by a straight road. They had to make a detour around On. These Jews of the land of Goshen had already made the acquaintance of the Holy Family, while the latter abode in On. Mary, while there, had done various kinds of work for them, such as knitting and embroidering covers and bands. She would never undertake works for vanity or extravagance, but only useful things and religious vestments. I saw women bringing work to her, which they wanted done in accordance with their requirements of vanity and fashion, and Mary returning it, although so much in need of the pay she would have received for it. The women mocked and scornfully derided her. The Holy Family at first suffered greatly from want. Good water could not be had, and wood failed. The inhabitants used only dried grass and reeds for their cooking. The Holy Family generally ate cold food. Joseph had plenty to do. He improved the poor huts for the people, but they treated him almost like a slave, giving him for his labor only what they themselves thought proper. Sometimes he brought home something as a remuneration for his work, and sometimes he brought nothing. The people were very unskillful in building their huts. They had no wood, excepting here and there a log or two, and even if they had wood, they had no tools to shape it for they had only knives of bone or stone. Joseph had brought the most necessary tools with him. The Holy Family were soon settled somewhat comfortably. They had little stools and tables, wicker screens, and a well-ordered fireplace also. The Egyptians ate sitting flat on the ground. On the wall of Mary's sleeping place, I saw a recess that Joseph had hollowed out, and in it was Jesus' little bed. Mary's couch was beside it, and I have often seen her by night, kneeling in prayer to God before that little bed. Joseph slept in another enclosed corner. The oratory of the Holy Family was in a passage outside. Joseph and the Blessed Virgin had separate places in it, and Jesus, too, had his little corner where he prayed sitting, standing, or kneeling. There was a kind of little altar before the Blessed Virgin's place, a small table covered with red and white. This table was like a leaf on hinges that could be let down from or put up against the wall. When let down, it disclosed a shelf in the wall itself, and on the shelf were various objects, among them something that was held as sacred. I saw little bushes in pots formed like chalices, a withered, though still whole branch, 
on top of which was the lily that had blossomed in Joseph's hand when he had been chosen by Lot in the temple for Mary's spouse, and something like fine, thin, white sticks that were placed crosswise in the rounded part of the recess. The blossoming lily branch was the top of Joseph's staff. It was stuck in a box about one and a half inches in diameter. The little sticks that were arranged crosswise were also in a box, a transparent one. There were about five of those little white sticks of the thickness of a coarse straw. They were crossed and bound in the middle to a kind of little sheaf. But one pays very little attention to such things when in vision. One's thoughts are chiefly intent upon the holy personages there presented. I saw that the Holy Family had to subsist on fruits and bad water. They had been so long without good water that Joseph resolved to saddle the ass, take his leathern bottle, and start for the balsam spring in the desert in order to get some. But the Blessed Virgin was told in prayer by an angelic apparition that she should seek and find a spring at the back of their present abode. I saw her going over the hill in which they dwelt to a deep vacant lot that lay at some distance between ruined walls. A large old tree stood on that ground. Mary had in her hand a rod provided with a little scoop, such as the people of that country commonly carry on journeys. She stuck it into the ground near the tree, and a beautiful clear stream of water instantly gushed forth. She hurried back joyfully to call Joseph, who soon removed the upper crust of earth and disclosed a well which had long ago been dug out and lined with masonry, but which for some time had been choked up and dry. He soon restored it and paved it around very beautifully with stones. At the side of the well, toward which Mary had approached, lay a great stone almost like an altar. I think it was used for that purpose in former times. The Blessed Virgin, after that, often washed Jesus' clothes and bands here, and dried them in the sun. The well remained unknown and was used only by the Holy Family, till Jesus had grown large enough to go on little errands and even to bring water for his mother. Once I saw him taking other children to the well and giving them a drink of the water which he scooped up in a hollow, crooked leaf. The little ones told this to their parents, and so the well became known. Others now began to go to it, though it remained principally in the use of the Jews. Even in the time of the Holy Family, it possessed healing properties for the leprous. Later, when a little chapel had been built over the dwelling of the Holy Family, there was near the high altar a flight of steps leading down to their first abode. There I saw the spring. It was surrounded by dwellings, and its waters used for the cure of leprosy and similar diseases. Even the Turks kept a light burning in the little chapel, and dreaded being overtaken by some misfortune if they neglected it. But the last I saw of the spring, it was lying solitary, surrounded only by trees. I saw the boy Jesus bringing water from the well for his mother for the first time. Mary was in prayer when the boy slipped to the well with a bottle and brought it back full of water. Mary was unspeakably affected when she saw him coming back with the water. She knelt down and implored him never to do that again, for he might fall into the well. But Jesus replied that he would take care and that he wanted to render her that service whenever she needed it. Joseph happened to be working at a little distance from home, and did he leave a tool lying behind him, I used to see the boy Jesus running after it and bringing it to him. The boy noticed everything. I think the joy that Mary and Joseph experienced on his account must have outweighed all their sufferings. Though perfectly childlike, he was very wise, skilled in everything, 
He knew and understood everything. I often saw Mary and Joseph filled with unspeakable admiration. When the boy Jesus took to their owners the covers embroidered or woven by his mother, who hoped to receive bread in return for her work, I often saw him teased at first, and consequently sad. But after a while, the Holy Family was very much loved by the people. I saw other children giving Jesus figs and dates, while many of their elders sought the Holy Family for help and consolation. All in trouble said, Let us go to the Jewish child. I saw the boy going on all kinds of errands, even to a Jewish town a mile distant, to get bread in exchange for his mother's work. The wild animals, numerous on his route, did him no harm. On the contrary, they and even the serpents showed him affection. Once I saw him going with other children to the Jewish town. He was weeping bitterly over the degradation of the Jews. When he went for the first time alone to that Jewish town, he wore, also for the first time, the brown robe woven by Mary. It was trimmed around the border with yellowish flowers. I saw him kneeling and praying on the way. Two angels appeared to him and spoke of Herod's death, but he said nothing of it to his parents. Part 27. The Return of the Holy Family from Egypt I saw the Holy Family's departure from Egypt. Herod was long since dead, but danger still threatened and they could not return. I saw St. Joseph, who was always busy at his trade, very much troubled one evening. The people for whom he had been working had given him nothing. Consequently, he had nothing to take home where there was so much needed. He knelt down in the open air and prayed. He was greatly afflicted. The sojourn among these people was becoming intolerable. They practiced infamous idolatry, even sacrificing deformed children. The parent that sacrificed a healthy, well-formed child was thought to be very pious. They had, besides, still more shameful rites that they carried on in secret. Even the Jews and the Jewish towns were to Joseph objects of horror. While in his trouble he prayed to God for help, I saw an angel appear to him. He bade him arise, and on the following morning depart from Egypt by the public high road. He told him also not to fear, for that he would accompany him. I saw Joseph hastening with the news to the Blessed Virgin and Jesus, and all setting to work to get their few movables packed together on the ass. Next morning, their attention to depart having become known, crowds of sorrowing neighbors came to them, bringing with them all kinds of gifts and little vessels of bark. Several mothers brought their children. There was among them a noble lady with a little boy of several years. She called him Mary's son, because having long abandoned the hope of having a boy, this child had been vouchsafed to her at Mary's prayer. She gave to the boy Jesus triangular coins, yellow, white, and brown. Jesus first looked at them and then at his mother. This lady's little son was later on admitted by Jesus into the number of his disciples, and was named Diotetus. The mother's name was Mira. The people of the place, of whom there was more pagans and Jews, were sincerely grieved at the Holy Family's departure, though few were glad. These last looked upon them as sorcerers who obtained all they desired through the help of Lucifer, the prince of devils. The Jews could no longer be recognized as Jews, so deeply were they sunk in idolatry. The Holy Family started, accompanied by all their friends. They took the direction between On and the Jewish town, turning away from On a little to the south in order to reach the Balsam Garden. They wanted to rest there a while and replenish their water supply. The garden was already flourishing, 
The balsam trees were as tall as moderately large grapevines, and in four rows surrounded the garden, which had an entrance. There were sycamores and all kinds of fruit trees, some like dates. The spring sent a stream around the whole garden. The friends that had accompanied them here took leave, but the Holy Family remained for some hours. Joseph had made some little vessels out of bark. They were covered with pitch, very smooth and nice. He snapped from the reddish balsam twigs the clover-like leaves, and hung the flasks underneath in order to gather the balsam drops for the journey. When they stopped to rest, he often made for their ordinary use vessels and flasks of that kind out of bark. The Blessed Virgin washed and dried some things here. After having rested and refreshed themselves, they proceeded on their way by the common high road. And many visions of their journey, which was made without any special danger to them. Mary was often very much distressed because walking through the hot sand was so painful for the boy Jesus. Joseph had made for him, out of bark, shoes that reached above the ankle and where they were firmly fastened. Still I saw the holy travelers frequently pausing while Mary shook the sand out of the child's shoes. She herself wore only sandals. Jesus was dressed in his little brown robe, and they often had to seat him on the ass for protection against the scorching rays of the sun. All three wore very broad hats made of bark and fastened under the chin with a string. I saw them passing by many cities, but I now recall only the name Ramses. At last I saw them in Gaza, where they stopped for three months. There are many pagans in that city. Joseph did not want to return to Nazareth, but to go to Bethlehem. Still he was undecided because he heard that Archelaus was now reigning over Judea, and he too was very cruel. But an angel appeared and put an end to his doubts by telling him that he should return to Nazareth. Anne was still living. She and some of her relatives were the only ones that knew where the Holy Family were during all those years. I had a glimpse of the boy Jesus, now seven years old, as he walked between Mary and Joseph on their journey back to Dugia, Judea from Egypt. I did not see the ass with them then, and they were carrying their bundles themselves. Joseph was about thirty years older than Mary. I saw them on a road in the desert, about two hours' distance from John's cave. The boy Jesus, as he walked, gazed in that direction, and I saw that his soul was turning to John. At the same time, I saw John at prayer in his cave. An angel in the form of a boy appeared to him, telling him that the Savior was passing by. John ran out of the cave, and with outstretched arms flew toward the point that his Savior was passing. He hopped about and danced with joy. This vision was most touching. John's cave lay deeply buried in a hill. It was not much wider than his own little bed, though it extended some distance in length. The entrance was only a little opening, through which he used to swing himself out. The top was an oblique aperture that emitted light. I saw in it a reed stand, upon which lay some honeycomb and dried locusts. The latter were yellow and speckled, as large, perhaps, as crabs. The desert in which Jesus fasted is four hours' distance from here. John was clothed in his camel skin. The angel that appeared to him was like a boy of his own age. I saw him at different periods, small at first and then larger, just as if he were growing up with John. He was not always with him. He used to appear and disappear.